0: Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life books and champagne. Brought to you by your hosts, Amanda and Ellen, owners of Dogyard Books in Ames, Iowa. Welcome to our debut podcast. In which we review some of the best books from the shittiest year and look ahead to all the literary promise of 2021. This episode is called Fuck Off 2020, but I liked your books. I'm Ellen, and I'm sitting here with my business wife, co-owner of dog Books in Ames, Iowa, Amanda. Amanda, set the scene.
1: We're sitting in our empty bookstore. And we're having a slumber party on the last night of 2020, which we've been planning for months.
0: Like, probably like six months now.
1: This is, we have been
0: talking about this a long ass time.
1: It's the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. When we got here tonight, the building was cold and the heater wasn't running, but we were determined not to let 2020 get the best of us in the last hours of the year. And thanks to the help of a contractor who happens to be my father-in-law and an HVAC professional <laughs> who took our call on New Year's Eve, we figured out that the thermostat was shot. And because we're badass businesswomen, mm-hmm. we took ourselves to Walmart in our matching New Year's pajamas and bought ourselves some tiny screwdrivers and a new thermostat. And no, and no one even like gave us any compliments on our pajamas. We were the fanciest people at Walmart tonight and no one even looked. Yeah, I mean, we were, like, rocking
0: no bras, no boots, in the pajamas. I had fuzzy slippers. Yeah, it was kind of rude, but anyway.
1: We had that thing installed lickety-split, and now we're up in our warm, cozy loft, ready-to-talk books.
0: So, yeah, we're up in the loft on our air mattresses, and uh, when we say that the store is empty, it really is empty because uh, we're not open yet. We're opening in March. So, we're we're in the empty store, and uh, we're on our... Well, we, I'll be honest. We just finished our third bottle of champagne, and now we're busting out the what? White claw <laughs> mango. Uh, so, yes. And for this episode, we're going to tell you about our favorite books that we read this year. So, we agree that it was a shitty year, but um, our reading lives were awesome.
1: Awesome. The most books I've ever read in a year.
0: So, we were going to tell you about our ten... Some of our ten favorite books, but then we thought of one more, so we're going to tell you about eleven books because it's our podcast and we can do what we want. All right, so let's get to our first book. So this book is *The Knockout Queen* by Rufy Thorpe, and it's a book that we both read early on in twenty twenty, and I think we both we read it around the same time, and we both agreed that this was going to be one of our favorite books this year. I mean, it was just that kind of book that you know when you read it, it's going to stay with you. So, um, The Knockout Queen is a coming-of-age story, and it's set in North Shore, California. And it's a town where most of the residents care more about image than anything else. And the protagonist is a teenager named Michael, and he lives in this rundown house next door to a McMansion. Um, And in that McMansion live another teenager, Bunny Lampert, and her dad, who's really crooked. Um, And Michael and Bunny's friendship is the center of the story, as each of them deals with acts of violence committed by and to them, and the failures of their own upbringings. Um, I thought the story had, like, serious Catcher in the Rye vibes. I don't know about you. I mean, it was a lot funnier than the Catcher in the Rye, but, like, sad
1: story, funny narration. It also made me think of the Mars room. I don't know whether it was the Mm -hmm. California setting or the darkness of it. Um, But I did think of that. Um, And definitely about the friendship. And I love the contrast between Bunny, who seemed to have it all. She had the money, the house, the looks, the athletic talents. And then there's this troubled, uprooted gay boy, Michael, who lives next door, and you think you know who has the advantage, but the story is flipped in the long run.
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of, like, I feel like it was, like, commentary on like, resilience a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it, I just loved this book. I thought it was so great.
1: And I think it really talked about how, physical and emotional violence can be inherited mm-hmm. how cycles repeat themselves but how some few miraculously re, uh, rise above their circumstances and then some that you're not expecting um, are pulled under yeah next up is writers and lovers by lily king this is a story about casey who's 31 years old and reeling from her mother's recent death She's a former golf prodigy, but she's working as a waitress and spending her off hours trying to finish writing the novel she's been working on for six years. Her college years brought on crushing debt and she's had many failed relationships and she's increasingly debilitated by anxiety. While she stumbles under the weight of her burdens, she's a woman who knows her worth in a relationship and goes after what she wants, never straying from her passion and incredibly attuned to truth. This is an admirable and realistic female character. I had the privilege of meeting Lily King at the American Booksellers Association annual conference in January, and she told me that the Canada geese illustration in the opening pages of her book was illustrated about her daughter, which I found really fascinating and special.
0: Yeah, and the, and the Canadian geese play a part in the story too, because they remind um, Casey of her mom. Um, I really liked this book too. I thought um, the writing was spectacular and I really appreciated that this book was not, it didn't, I I feel like it really did not play into tropes as far as like romance. It It was unpredictable and in a really honest way. Like Casey was a super relatable character.
1: And she was really in control of her decisions and what she wanted, um, despite being semi-torn between two love interests. Neither one of them ever really had control over the situation. It was always Casey. And I really enjoyed that. And that's why I think she is a great role model for young girls.
0: Yeah. And she also is, like, really – pushes back against you know she's 31 years old and she's, you know and I think 31 anywhere but like especially be, you know being from the midwest where I think we both got married when we were you know in our early 20s you know she's got all this pressure to like settle down she's waiting tables she's you know not using her college education or whatever um she's not married and and so there's like all this pressure like people think there's something wrong with her because she's not you know doing the things you're you know quote unquote supposed to do um and so it, yeah she is really admirable and that she she just does her own thing like she's not playing into that
1: she stays the course of her dream and i have to say it's a happy ending yeah that's satisfying yeah definitely
0: all right our next book is drive your plow over the bones of the dead um in this book was published in polish 10 years ago but it was awarded the nobel prize in literature in 2019 and i would i don't know is this like a murder mystery or
1: is it um it's a book of its own and i think that's why i got the nobel prize but definitely it has that murder mystery you are kept in suspense to the very end and definitely surprised when you get there so the, the, it takes place in, um, in this tiny
0: village on the border with the Czech Republic. It's like up in the mountains, it's winter time, there's snow everywhere. Um, the protagonist is Janina, she's a retired engineer and she teaches English part-time. And she takes care uh, in the winter of the summer houses, um, like in her neighborhood. And she's kind of, uh, her, she's lost, two of her dogs have died. she's kind of like reeling from that and she is a super interesting character and I think what I loved about this book more than anything else was the character work like if you're a person who gets really into um, super well-developed
1: characters you should totally check out this book Right, and she's very um, passionate about protecting the area's wildlife from local poachers. This is where the tension of the novel comes in. Mm-hmm. She has it out for the hunting club, um, and she keeps going into the local police office and saying, you know, they're, they're not doing anything good. They're hunting illegally, and they write her off as this batty old lady. Yeah, and I, one of the things I really liked about this
0: novel is that Janina is like perfectly aware of how she's perceived by other people. You know, she's a woman, she's of a certain age, and she's just like not taken seriously. And she gets it and it pisses her off.
1: Right, and things go her way in the end. Uh, the, her enemies, the local hunters, start turning up dead. And her arguments that the wildlife are fighting back start to gain traction, and people start to take her seriously.
0: Yeah, it's this is like wholly
1: unique story. Like I've never read anything like it. The only thing I could draw a parallel to was Olive Kitteridge, kind mm. of a crumudgeony older woman, but someone who has power. And um, one of the quirky things about this book really unique to this author was her um, inclusion of a lot of information about astrological influence on the world. Mm -hmm. And um, some people have criticized the book for just kind of getting a little too far into it, but I found it really fascinating and it ended up drawing me into researching my own astrological horoscope to see what it predicted for my future. (laughs) Um, I might have invested quite a lot in thinking about you know, how it influenced our business, <laughs> whether we would get COVID, well, whether the world we would end. We'd open a
0: bookstore?
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah.
0: And I, I know I mentioned it in The Knockout Queen. I, I am a sucker for The Catcher in the Rye. I have a kid named Holden. But there, there is also a Holden Caulfield vibe in this one because Holden Caulfield – feels like he gets what's going on in the world and nobody else fucking sees it and janina is the same way she like she looks around her and she cannot understand why people don't care about the things that she cares about
1: yeah she's a great character you won't forget her and we're not going to give away the ending but we will say this is one of the few dog books we do approve of Up next is The Most Fun We've Ever Had. This is one of my favorite books from 2019 and one Ellen enjoyed this year. And it's available in paperback. The Most Fun We Ever Had was written by Claire Lombardo, who earned her MFA from the University of Iowa. And she currently lives in Iowa City with her dog Renee. You know we love a dog author. And of course... And we love
0: Iowa. I mean, I used to live in Iowa City, so
1: go cyclones
0: yeah we love iowa city but go cyclones
1: okay this is a story about a close knit midwestern family with four daughters and i could not resist this premise i'm one of four girls and i have four daughters myself i was really invested in what
0: (laughs) you felt it deeply yes
1: and i was very concerned about how things would turn out um (laughs) Each of the characters, both the parents and the children, flounder at various points in their lives, but they all arrive at points of self-awareness and acceptance of each other's imperfections. Um, One of the things I'm really excited about as we research this book to talk about it on the blog, is this a blog, podcast? Podcast. People don't blog anymore. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Was that this novel is being adapted into a series and it's being produced by Amy Adams and Laura Dern, who are both. Amazing. I think
0: I read that it was like the Midwestern version of Big Little Lies, which I sort of disagree.
1: I disagree with that, but I get where it's coming from. Right. It's not the big drama, but it's going to be turned into a series that hopefully will be as popular as Big Little Lies. So Ellen, tell me what you loved about this book. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it'll be a great television series. I think what I liked about the book is, well, for one, it spans like 40 years, which I just kind of like books that do that, um, just in terms of character development. Um, But I also thought it was a very realistic portrayal of family dynamics and like rivalries and and just complicated feelings about siblings and about parents, but that love that exists there. Um, And also as a parent, like I totally related to this book. So the title, The Most Fun We Ever Had, comes from a conversation that the matriarch of the family, Marilyn, has when her daughters are really young. I think she only has two or three at that, that time. And she's at a, uh, one of her husband's work functions, and his boss asked her about parenthood and being home. And she says, oh, it's the most fun we ever had. And afterwards, her husband's like, why the fuck did you say that? That's not true. And they laugh about it. And I totally relate to that because, you know, like when you have little kids, you know that the moments are priceless. You know that when they're older, you're going to remember and you'll be a little bit sad that they're getting big or that they've grown. But man, when they're little, it's fucking hard. Yeah. And I felt like. This novel, like, really captured that. But also as the girls in this novel grew up, like, that was hard too. And I think it just shows that, like, everybody we exist in our families and we choose to stay in our families. And it just means that we have to accept imperfections. and
1: Especially imperfections of parenting. Yeah. These parents <clears throat> love their daughters so much. And they're not able to meet all of their needs. Um, they're not able to adapt to what each of them need and it's not out of lack of trying it's just the way it is
0: yeah and don't you feel sometimes like as a parent that
1: you're just always falling short i mean i feel that way a lot yeah and so there's a sense of we're in it together reading this book yeah All right, our next book
0: is Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. And this was, like, hands down one of my favorite books this year. Uh, It's a suspense novel in, like, the best way that an author can do suspense, which is, like, slow, foreboding. Like, you just get this sense of unease, and it just builds and builds and builds. And the premise of Leave the World Behind is we've got two white New Yorkers, Amanda and Clay, and they have two teenagers and they want a vacation out of the city. So they rent an Airbnb in the country in upstate New York and they have their family vacation there. And one night in the middle of their vacation, um, in the middle of the night, the house's owners show up at their doorstep and they don't know what's going on, but something is happening in New York City and they need a safe place like all the power's gone out they don't know what's going on they just feel like they have to get out of the city and so they show up at the house they actually own um but they're not supposed to be there um and that's the premise of the story and the owners are black and so there's like sort of this weird like race racial tension that's happening um and there's a lot of social commentary about
1: about that in the book Right. And it's almost there's this awkward comicness about how Amanda and Clay are trying to be respectful and racially sensitive, but that at the same time they're like entitled white people who are like, We rented this Airbnb. We're here on vacation. What are you doing here? You're ruining our vacation. And they don't necessarily trust the homeowners' assertion that something strange is happening.
0: Yeah, cuz like all the like they can't get any service on their phones, like the TVs are out, like they don't they don't know what's going on. And all they can rely on is the word of these people that something has happened. And
1: so there's all there's like this distrust. Right. The thing is things are a little off. There's some odd animal behaviors, weird sounds and you you get the sense that something strange is happening um and Ellen points out this is like if something really were happening in the world this is the way it would go down nobody would really know what's happening we probably wouldn't be able to google what's happening and we would just have to turn to each other like to figure out how to get through yeah I mean
0: like they have no clue what's going on in the outside world and at first they do what like I think anybody would do right it's like oh surely there's an explanation like we'll hear something soon and over time they realize like they're not hearing anything and they don't know what's going
1: on and all these like barriers like these social norms just start to break down if you like psychological thrillers this is a great one to try it has a intellectual literary quality to it that kind of pushes the boundaries and offers you something new in the lead-up to the November election, Curtis Sittenfeld's book Rodham was the perfect distraction. This was part historical fiction, part imagined alternate reality. Facing known infidelity and rumors of worse, a not yet married Hillary Rodham left Bill Clinton in Arkansas to forge a life of independence. The author follows Hillary through the decades, examining the trade-offs she makes to fulfill her own potential. When events as we know them diverge, Hillary still finds herself running for president in 2016, bumping into familiar characters in surprising ways. Yeah,
0: I thought this book was a really fun read. Actually, I'll read anything by Curtis Settenfeld. I think she's um, a writer that puts out solid books every single time. But what I really appreciated about this book was um, the very human way that it portrayed Hillary Clinton, and the point that I think Curtis said, one of the points that I think that she's making is that Hillary was always going to face sexism regardless of what she did because she, was, she is a woman with ambition. Um, and I just thought it was a really fantastic portrayal of the way that um,
1: society villainizes ambitious women, smart women, yeah, and my favorite part of this is that Bill didn't become president in the nineties. <laughs> yeah,
0: because he, he needed her. <laughs> he
1: needed he needed Hillary. He needed Hillary to be that stoic wife who said, "I forgive you," um, and without her, he can't do it.
0: Yeah. So Rodham is a really interesting blend of fact and fiction, faction, if you want to call it that. And listen, it's got some really you know, great sex scenes between Bill and Hillary. So if that's something you've you've ever wondered about, you know, check it out. <laughs> Our next book is a memoir, it's Wild Game, My Mother, Her Lover and Me by Adrian Broder. And this, for a memoir, had me totally hooked. Like it was a page turn, I couldn't put it down. And the story is, uh, is Adrienne's, it's her autobiography memoir. And it's about her relationship with her mother, Malabar. And so when Adrienne's growing up, she's super enamored by her mom. Her mom is um, really elegant, glamorous, but also very distant. And when Adrienne is a teenager, and I, I can't remember like exactly what her age was, I think it was around 14, her mother uh, starts an affair and it's with her husband's best friend. So this is a couple that uh, they're always at the house, um, and they're really involved in Adrian's family's life. And Malabar is so excited about this affair and she has to tell somebody. And so the one person she confides in is Adrian. And now all of a sudden, Adrian is her confidant and she finds herself really relishing that role. Um, she's finally getting the affection and attention that she wants from her mother. And for the next many years, she covers for the affair. So she's. <clears throat> Um, telling lies, you know, creating situations for her mother and this man to be alone. And all the time she doesn't realize how devastating uh, this affair is going to be for a lot of people. Uh, She does it because she really craves her mother's attention. And as she gets older and becomes a mother herself, she really starts to question uh, why her mother would pull her into something like this.
1: Right. I thought her reflections towards the end of the book were... Really intense, she felt the pressure of not wanting to repeat the mistakes of their relationship, and I related to that part quite a bit um, but yeah, the memoir reads like really good fiction. it is strong, yeah. you're propelled through the book it's fascinating um, you're kept in suspense wondering what's going to happen yeah, and even though like Malabar her mom is is kind
0: of a piece of shit you, I, you can you kind of get like why. Adrian is so enthralled by her. Like there's something about her that's right. really like charismatic or something, you know?
1: Yeah. And uh, Wild Game has been optioned as a film. We don't know when it's going to come out and who's going to play it, but this is great movie material. I can't wait to see who's cast. Yeah, hundred percent. Now I read Wild Game in two thousand nineteen, but in two thousand twenty, my favorite memoir was Rough Magic by Lara Pryor Palmer. Staring down the staid path of adulthood stretching out before her, 19-year-old Lara impulsively entered the world's longest, toughest horse race with just under 2 months to prepare. This memoir takes us along the 7-day, 1000-kilometer race through Mongolia, mimicking Genghis Khan's pony postal system.
0: Okay, so I haven't read this book, but so was she like an experienced rider? I mean, she's 19.
1: Right. She was a recreational rider. Her aunt, I guess, was an Olympic racer, horse racer in her day. Um, and she'd been exposed to horses, but you know, her parents weren't overly indulgent or overly invested in the pastime. So she'd grown up riding here and there, but you know, nothing serious, not months and months or years and years of training like some of the other people entering this race.
0: Kind of like as you're describing it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Wild by Cheryl Strayed, where she sort of like under like undertook this hike, you know, with like very little, yeah, experience.
1: Yeah, if you if you love Cheryl's memoir, you're gonna love this one. Um, Lara is really quirky. You can tell she's just the type of person to jump into this completely unprepared. Her reflections are funny. Her interactions with the fellow racers are funny. How she handles her, um, challenges throughout the race, um, show a resiliency that, um, obviously did her some good because, uh, after competing in this race, but before completing the memoir, she went through about a cancer. And um, I think going through that illness caused her to spend more time reflecting on the significance of having participated in the race. um, And that brought about rough magic.
0: Our next book is Inland by Taya Obrecht. It was probably, it was one of my very favorite books that I read this year. Uh, She wrote The Tiger's Wife um, several years ago, which won a bunch of awards. So this is her second novel. And there are two stories that alternate in this book. And the first is Nora's, and it's the year is 1893. She lives in this little town called Amargo. It's in the Arizona Territory, and they're in the middle of a severe drought. Her husband has left. Um, He's traveled to go get water, and he has seemingly disappeared. He did not return when he was supposed to. And she has two older sons who are also nowhere to be found. So she's in the middle of this drought. There's no water. She's taking care of her son, her aging mother, and um, her husband's cousin, and she's just she's just in a really difficult situation. The second story actually starts decades earlier, and it belongs to an outlaw who uses the pseudonym Laurie. And Laurie, when he's on the lam, joins. The Camel Corps, which is which is a real thing, like there, I didn't know this, but there really was a Camel Corps. Um, the U.S. Army were trying to use camels as pack animals in the southwestern territory because they can go a long ways without water. And so he um, <clears throat> he has this camel, and he's in the Camel Corps. And uh, Laurie is also a really interesting character because he can commune with the dead. So. That's his story, kind of following him as he's in the Camel Corps and after the Camel Corps. And eventually, even though the stories are decades apart, they do converge. And what I loved about this book more than anything else was the writing. You know, like Amanda and I, we both dog-eared pages, hence dog-eared books. So if I'm reading a book and I see some beautiful writing, I'll dog-ear the page. And I swear to God, I would have dog-eared almost every page in this book.
1: I just thought it was so beautifully constructed and i definitely admire a uniqueness um you saw that in the tiger's wife it's very um magical
0: Mm -hmm.
1: the magical realism is something that's consistent between the two books but for me some of the writing was challenging what i found fascinating was the history yeah like you said i had no idea there was a camel core I had no sense of place for what the Southwest looked like, what life was like in that era, what it was to be in a frontier town. Um, I found the history most fascinating. And I was very moved by the magical realism in it, um, the connection with the camel that Lurie had, Mm-hmm. um and then the way all the stories came together in the end was really moving yeah the very last book i read in 2020 peristrika in paris by jane smiley probably is my most favorite year read of the entire year um it's exactly how i needed to end the worst year ever i call this a bedtime story for adults um i could have easily have read it aloud to any of my children um, Jane Smiley is an epic novelist. Um, she's one of the few authors with the literary cachet to pull off such a surprising narrative. Um, this is about Perestroika, a good-natured and successful racehorse. Her stall door is left unlatched after a race, and the curious filly leaves the stables and makes her way all the way to the City of Lights, where she settles into a life lived by her own whims alongside a stray German- short-haired pointer named Frida and an aging raven and a couple of expectant mallard ducks. Through the fall, winter, and spring, the book is told primarily from the perspective of this menagerie of animals, but human friends become loosely connected by their encounters with Peristrica and Frida, in particular Etienne, a lonely eight-year-old boy living with his aging great-grandmother. So, I mean, we get to claim Jane Smiley.
0: Okay. Cause Jane Smiley used to live in Ames where we are, where our
1: bookstore is. So Jane, if you're listening, uh, please make an appearance at our bookstore. Yeah, <laughs> we went, we went to middle school. We were actually in the same class as Jane's daughter, Lucy. So Lucy put a word in for us. We have a new independent bookstore in Ames. Um, and Jane has written epically about Iowa, a thousand acres, yeah. her most recent trilogy, um, mm-hmm. Beginning a century of Iowa history. Um, but this book, is, there's just nothing like it. It reminded me of like A Cricket in uh, Times Square or The Rats of Nim. Um, it was just lovely to read from the perspective of the animals. Again, I'm very careful with dog books because I do not want to read any books about dogs dying. And I just had <laughs> faith that Jane would not kill the dog off. So I uh, went ahead with this one. It's beautiful. It offered great hope, um, and it talked about the need for belonging um, and how we find our place in the world. Okay, this brings us to our 11th book,
0: Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips. This was actually the very first book I read in 2020, and I loved it. So. I start by describing sort of the structure of the story because it's different. It reminded me a lot of There, There by Tommy Orange and that it's a cast of characters. So in the the opening pages of the book, it's it's like a cast, like you would read, you know, if you were reading um, a script or something. Um, So it tells you all who all the different characters are. And then the chapters are each from a different person's perspective. So nobody repeats. It's just a different story every time. But they all sort of center around, and the main, you know, center of this story is that two girls go missing. And it takes place in this, like, isolated, largely inaccessible northeastern peninsula in Russia. Um, I'd never heard of it. I mean, maybe Sarah Palin can see it from her house. I don't know. But um, it was fascinating, like, to learn the history of this place that I'd never even heard of before. But anyway, these two girls go missing. They're kidnapped, okay? Okay and then each of the chapters which is told by a different person um these characters are either directly or indirectly related to this disappearance story Um, but what's really going on here is like tons of exploration i think of womanhood specifically um and then there's this whole element of the story too of the relationship between the indigenous people of the region um, and the russian settlers and i um Love the description of place in this book. It reminds me so much of the way Barbara Kingsolver does place, where you just like the place itself is a character. And it's just a beautifully crafted exploration of a being human. And I thought the ending in this book was like absolutely masterful.
1: This is definitely based on Ellen's recommendation, um, top of my list for books to read in 2021. So tell me, Ellen, um, in exploring this place you had basically never heard of before um what did you find most interesting about the way of life there or the landscape well that it's you
0: know it's it's isolated so this peninsula is like inaccessible so there's like and it's been a year since i read it but and that was part of the disappearance stories like where could these kids be there's there's like a finite space here um, so the only ways out are like, uh, boats and I, I don't think there's any roads out of there and it's, um, the author actually got a grant to go live there and so she immersed herself in this place and in this culture before she wrote the story. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's just, I just love reading about a place that I've never been, never heard of, um, that has such a rich culture and identity.
1: Did it change your understanding of Russian culture at all? I think we have a strong American oh, yeah. bias about Russian culture.
0: Hundred percent,
1: yes, yes. Great.
0: Oh my God, Amanda! I think we just recorded our first podcast. So, so that's it, friends, listeners. Uh, those were our favorite books that we read in twenty twenty, and you know it's been a hard year. But building this bookstore um, has really been the silver lining. And we know that 2021 promises a lot more fun. And we'd like you to tune in to our next episode, which maybe won't be as amateur or champagne-fueled as this one. Or right. it might be. It yeah,
1: might. we'll definitely still have champagne. We take, we'll take yeah. we we'll take any free advice anyone would love to offer us about um, podcast recording. Yeah, and, you know, if, if you make champagne and
0: you, <laughs> you want to donate some, that's cool, too.
1: Yeah, we're, we're looking for our sponsor. <laughs> so um, Domain... Uh, Carneros, we're drinking you today. Excellent. Yeah, so you know, you could sponsor our next episode. Yeah, so tune into our next episode,
0: uh, hopefully next week, where we'll be discussing the books that we are most looking forward to in the new year.
1: Cheers, Ellen. Cheers.